Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Corey Walsh podcast brought to you by the Extended Cut. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about NFL quarterback prospects for this upcoming draft. And we're also going to have my friend Noah Lucier on to talk about the U.S. Academy being shut down. If you guys like this theme that just got introduced, uh, this was made by my friend Tucker Moore. You, he made some great stuff recently. He's a film guy. He's now a music guy, apparently, too. And if you guys are interested in material like this, uh, he can be found on his Instagram at TuckMore, T-U-C-M-O-O-R-E. Thanks again, Tuck, for making this. This is pretty sweet. Um, all right. So let's just jump right into this. As you guys know, tomorrow is the draft i'm recording this on a wednesday and the draft is on thursday and it's been a pretty quarterback discussed draft overall because the number one pick is a quarterback i know shocking unlike every year where the quarter it's either a quarterback or a pass rusher hasn't really been anyone really outside of that since uh jake long i think back in like 08 uh so let's just jump right into this so you can't really start by talking about this draft class with anyone but Joe Burrow. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that I've watched hours of college football or that I really have like any level of expertise on analyzing quarterback talent. So I'm just going to give you my quick thoughts on each draft quarterback. That's like predictably a first round quarterback. And I'm not including Jalen Hurts because I've heard people think he might be a first round quarterback. He's not. He's definitely a second day draft quarterback he does not have as much NFL ready tangibles as the rest of these guys I'm about to mention and that's not just me perceiving it it's also what scouts are perceiving it as well so we're just going to start with Joe Burrow Uh, he's pretty much locked to be the first pick of this draft I mean he's probably the most touted quarterback prospect I've seen since Andrew Luck where people are basically locking him in as an NFL ready ready to go he basically screams Hall of Famer already just like Andrew Luck did And uh, that's going to probably be what is discussed about him from the moment he's drafted for his next 10 years, probably, unless something happens that is just unpredictable here. So my notes I have on him is that uh, he was surrounded by a ton of NFL-ready talent. That LSU team is regarded as one of the best, if not the best, college football team ever. And he has one of the best offenses ever. He was surrounded by Justin Jefferson, a wide receiver, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, running back. He had two offensive linemen that are supposed to be projected like draft picks. And he also had Thaddeus Moss, a tight end, who is Randy Moss's son. And uh, in general, this LSU team received over 16 invites alone to the 2020 draft combine. And in a mock draft that was done by Sports Illustrated, they also had 13 LSU players in the first five rounds, most of which were the names I also discussed along with others. I just only wanted to list the offensive side because one of the concerns I really feel like I have with this whole Joe Burrow thing is that, one, he was a one-season player. We didn't know if it was consistency. I mean, people with Trevor Lawrence thought Trevor Lawrence was going to be Peyton Manning 2.0, and now it like he's still pretty much locked in to be the number one pick next year when he uh, declares. But in the second season, we saw a lot more difference in the way that teams were preparing for him, and we saw him struggle for a little bit of the season before that. So I would be a little hesitant to announce uh, Joe Burrow as a Hall of Famer before he stepped on the field like most of these people are. I mean, you see Orlovsky just – 
gush about him and everyone's been gushing about him you haven't heard one person that really wants to zag on the joe burrow train because you'd be like the only one deciding to zag here but also uh if you look at his stats they're just jaw dropping from that season it might have been a one season wonder but i mean hell that was one one season wonder to have his for those who don't know he had a 76 percent completion percentage which is absolutely insane i mean that's like if that was in the NFL, you, that's, like, impossible, I would say, for the most part. Uh, he had over 5,700 passing yards. He had 60 passing touchdowns and six interceptions. He also had 115 rushes for 368 yards and five rushing touchdowns. That doesn't seem that impressive, and honestly, most of the rushes are just him scrambling out of the pocket trying not to get sacked. So don't take those rushing numbers to be that serious. He's not very – he's not slow, though. He is somewhat athletic. In the way he can use his legs, I just wouldn't say he's a dual threat quarterback. I would just say he has enough mobility to survive in the pocket in order to create throws. So from all these quarterbacks I'm going to discuss, I just discussed their ceiling and their floor. Now, I am I did not spend hours coming up with these ceiling and floors, and I really did not try to look anywhere else for ideas of where to get these ceilings or floors I would look up info that I thought applied to their attributes and then what quarterbacks in the league with the career that I expect them to have at the ceiling or the floor would match those exact same attributes so for Joe Burrow I have his ceiling being Andrew Luck because Andrew Luck even though he did retire early was very good in the NFL he was a top 10 quarterback I'm not going to sit here and say that Joe Burrow is going to be Tom Brady because I think that comparison is absolutely ridiculous you can't make I don't know what on earth people are comparing it to because when you look if we're even comparing it at college no one knew that Tom Brady was going to be Joe uh, what Tom Brady is today and I feel like Tom Brady is not something that you look at him and see it's all mental with Brady and I feel like at the level that Joe Burrow played for competition for the most part he didn't play like top 25 teams all the time he really just played like a few like maybe four times a year he played against really good teams so be having him decide how he reads defenses I just I don't think it's fair to make the Tom Brady comparison so I think Andrew Luck's much more fair Andrew Luck was gonna probably be a Hall of Famer if he played like three years longer I don't think Joe Burrow's gonna retire early uh shocker um and I have his floor being Matt Ryan Matt Ryan was a very is a very serviceable starting quarterback he's been the Falcons starter I think since 2008 he brought them to a Super Bowl. He's been very solid. I mean, now he's in the downward part of his career. But I think anyone would be very happy drafting a Matt Ryan. Like, no, is he ever going to be in the elite conversation? No, but he's never in the quarterbacks that need to be replaced conversation every year. When's the last time you heard the Falcons drafting a quarterback? What? <laughs> if this is the year this is going to be uh, old takes exposed Twitter type moment. All right. Uh, so now we're going to go on to Tua Tagovailoa. Um so the thing about Tua that I, I don't know if you uh, just haven't heard, he has injury issues. I know. That's insane. I, I can't believe it either. I don't, I've never heard of it. It's true. Um, so Tua only played nine games last year. But when you look at the stats compared to how the season went on, he was going to shatter most of his season expectations through nine games alone. He had a QBR, a quarterback rating of 206, and that was seven points higher than last year. His yards average was basically the same, but also his um, average yards and attempt went up by a, 
by uh, 0. .6 from 12.8 to 3.4. And his touchdowns was at 33 when he finished the game with season with nine games under. And he had, in 15 games, 43. I would assume that he was going to surpass that touchdown count given how explosive this Alabama offense is. And that also just brings me back to Joe Burrow. The thing about these two quarterbacks is their offenses were so stacked. I mean, these were traditionally run first teams in college, and now they play to a much different style. And they both had good running backs while they were the quarterbacks at their respective programs. But at the same time, Alabama being a throw first team, I can't even remember the last time that was possible. I mean, the only quarterback that I really the quarterbacks that I remember of Alabama, I know Jalen Hurts was their quarterback for a season, but I think of like AJ McCarron and Greg McElroy and Tua is by far the biggest face at quarterback this franchise has or this uh college team has had in a really long time. I think Tua's injury problems are a concern, I guess, but at the same time, you really can't predict if they're gonna get hurt again. I mean I can see the argument of don't not wanting to spend a high pick to a player that might never really be able to stay on the field, but you could also Tua was going to be probably the number one quarterback in this draft if he was healthy, because Tua there was a tank a whole tank for Tua thing. I know there was a whole tank for Trevor or lose for Lawrence type thing going on right now, but Tua was highly touted as the, one of the best quarterback prospects we have ever seen go through the college ranks. And them being the one and two really does make sense. But we know Washington's going to take Chase Young because they have Dwayne Haskins. Unless they really shock us here and go for Tua, which would just – honestly, out with apparently the risk that is applied with Tua, I would rather just take Chase Young, the guaranteed pass rush monster that he is predicted to be. So also another concern outside of Tua is with – I don't – when you look at the team, when he played quality competition over his career at Alabama, the stats kind of scare you. All right, so most recently, when they played against LSU this year, Tua had a 52% completion rating, and it wasn't on very limited passes. He had 40 pass attempts and completed 21 of them. His touchdown to interception rate was it was great. It was a 4-1. to one. But at the same time, it did not – they were one play short, but – I mean, that completion percentage for a quarterback that has completely been applauded and praised for his accuracy is a pretty scary stat line. Also, when they went to play Georgia in 2018, uh, most the rest of these games are going to be from 2018, by the way. So I guess I'll just – yeah. So Georgia, he went 10 for 25 for 164, a touchdown and two interceptions. Uh, they lost that – they won that game, actually. But, I mean – you can just tell from the game within it, from that itself, that uh, Tua was not the reason they really won that game. That was against our number four Georgia team. I'm, and uh, when they played LSU last year, who was ranked three, they uh, they won this game twenty nine to zero. But once again, Tua did not really stand out in that game to win. I know the argument could be he game managed it and he did what he had to do, but I would expect in big games that Tua would kind of be like the X factor in which why they won. But I know with Saban's run and defensive style, that's not necessarily going to be the case. But the most staggering moment, I think, outside of that Georgia stat line was when they played Clemson in the national championship and they lost 44-16. to 16. Uh, Tua didn't, like, not stand out at all. He had... He was 22 for 34 for 295, and he was two touchdowns, two interceptions. 
Um, now this is me saying like I don't uh, don't get the impression that I don't think Tua will be good. I truly would bet that Tua is going to be the best quarterback in this class, even with the health question marks. I think he's truly gifted. He gives really. I'm going to say his ceiling was Russell Wilson. I think he could easily be that type of player. He has that athleticism. He's very sneaky in the pocket, and as long as those hips and ankles stay in decent shape, which with modern medicine today, I don't really see a way in which that couldn't be the case. I could see Tua being a a star quarterback in the NFL, but if it all goes south, I have compared his floor to being Marcus Mariota. I'm not saying that they have the same build at all. They really don't. His build is much similar to more similar to like Drew Brees or Russell Wilson than it is to Marcus Mariota. But Marcus Mariota is not a great quarterback. He's average at best, a little worse. He's not exactly the most uh, injury uh, safe quarterback in the league. He'll never you you know he'll get hurt at some point. It's just they're fragile, and if Tua actually falls to these uh, rumors of him being injury prone that Marcus Mariota is by far the uh, floor that I see for him all right so now we're going to move on to uh, I, I really do not like this quarterback uh, Justin Herbert I'm not a big fan at all I mean so Pac-12 quarterbacks in general I know they've released like the Aaron Rodgers and the Carson Palmers of the world but like recently they just have not been that great I mean they've been highly picked but have any of them really panned out so far to being elite quarterbacks? We have uh, Josh Rosen, who ironically is on the Dolphins, and Herbert is heavily linked to the Dolphins right now. They prefer him over Tua. We got Sam Darnold, who is a good quarterback, I think. I think that people are like on the train. We're just waiting for it to actually leave the station in order for him to become elite. Uh, Marcus Mariota, as I previously just mentioned, who as is now fighting with – Derek Carr I think or maybe he is going to be the backup of the Las Vegas Raiders and Jared Goff who first season we thought was a bust second season we're like oh he is really good we just needed him under McVay and now the third season we're just like I don't know what the hell he is anymore so his strengths are really that he has an NFL build which I hate this (laughs) this scouting analysis when they say NFL build so he has to be good you know who else had an NFL build Mitch Trubisky and how good is Mitch Trubisky he's fighting with Nick Foles right now for his job in his third year as a quarterback in the NFL he he's pretty but uh he also is very athletic uh Justin Herbert and he has a solid arm I wouldn't say it's like exceptional I don't think he's known for being a very accurate deep thrower I saw that I've watched some film of his And just to make sure I wasn't just like just saying idiotic stuff about Herbert without watching, he doesn't seem like he puts the ball in deep throws. Like he definitely could put a little more oomph on them. He seems like he underthrows on deep balls quite a lot. And he also is known to stare down safeties and just basically give away his reads to where he can just be the gaps get closed a lot quicker and a lot more passes will become incomplete. I don't think he can make NFL throws. I watched this like, 25 minute youtube video compilation of him trying to throw in really tight windows and more often than not he just can't get it there in time it's not it's like a combination of him not having as strong an arm to get it in there it's not like a pure forced throw but he also just doesn't have the touch i think to put it in really really small gaps and also the weakness i think of playing in the pac 12 is that i feel like they play some of the weakest ncaa competition of any other uh conference so then I decided to look, hey, you know, when did uh, Herbert play really good competition? 
Uh, he did in his last two games of the year where he played two top 10 teams in the NCAA, that being Utah in the Pac-12 game and uh, when they played Wisconsin, who was ranked eighth in the Rose Bowl game. So we'll just go in order here. So when they played Utah in the Pac-12, uh, Herbert uh, had a 53% completion rating with one touchdown with a QBR of 72.6. That is not great at all. And just it's truly insane that they won this game with Herbert because that that stat line just proves that he was not the key reason that they won this game. So I don't know why scouts are drooling over the fact that he apparently is a leader. He just doesn't lead by example. He, he leads by example. He doesn't lead with words. I don't see any way in which he led this team to win this game. And then when you go and look, at the Rose Bowl game, he was 14 for 20 with zero touchdowns and one interception for 138 yards, but he ran three touchdowns on nine attempts for 29 yards, and his longest was a 30-yard run, so pretty impressive. But overall, are we really that impressed with that, those two games against quality competition? I mean, yeah, sure, if you want him to watch him torch some bottom-barrel Pac-12 team and see – how gifted he is yeah that'd be like if you watched herbert just tear up like in high school tearing up an eighth grade team being like wow you know herbert really showed those eighth graders what he's got yeah no shit he did he's like three grade levels above them and takes creatine i mean like come on like that's just not i i'm tired of herbert's hype i think this is desperation for teams that feel like they can't get to it or they are too scared to take to it but they know they need to take a quarterback so they're going to convince themselves hey you know we missed out on Tua. actually no he didn't he's still available but you know those hips i really like my job so i but i need a quarterback so i'm going to take the one that has an nfl build we can just develop him over time the throwing will come it, it hasn't we've seen this over and over with quarterbacks that are taken purely off build and not with actual arm strength i saw people compare herbert to carson wentz this is not a carson wentz situation at all i have his ceiling being ryan Tannehill, and they literally to me are the same exact now i'm not I, ryan Tannehill now is a good quarterback under the right offensive system he can truly thrive. We saw Miami. He was an up-and-down quarterback. Ironically, if Herbert also goes to Miami, I don't see this situation playing out that much better. I think Miami, if they can't, if they decide they don't want Tua, would just be better off taking like a Fromm or a Hertz. In the, actually, I really like Fromm. I think Fromm or Eason would probably be better for Miami if they're going to wait on not taking Tua. I would not, tra- I would not take Herbert – with any top 10 pick, but we know someone's going to, it's either going to be the chargers or it's going to be the dolphins or the Patriots apparently are in love with Herbert. If they want to trade up, we all know the Raiders are probably itching at the bit to draft a quarterback. So I wouldn't count them out either, but yeah, the ceiling is definitely Ryan Tannehill here. I mean, Tannehill is somewhat athletic. He, they actually ran, I almost identical combine times in turn. So that says their speeds basically around the same. I would say Tannehill's issue has always been a little more accuracy related, and I would say Herbert also fits the bill of that pretty well. And I already discussed it kind of already, but the floor for him is definitely Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I think it's a Mitch Trubisky or Jake Locker type situation. I rock, ironically, Jake Locker was also Pac-12. Uh, they're both just they were both stocky guys who had big builds. Mitch Trubisky definitely can't throw in NFL windows. Jake Locker just retired before we even really knew how awful he was, but he wasn't that great before that either. 
Uh, so Jordan Love is up next. Uh, the Mahomes comparison. He's not compare. He is not Patrick Mahomes. It is that simple. I'm telling you right now, Mahomes had an injury issue, and that's why he was off the radar. Jordan Love is somehow on the radar more than he should be. His two seasons apart were separated were so drastically different. I mean, all right. So I know this has been already said, so I'll give you a quick summary of it. It went from the okay. So completion percentage is almost the same. It's like a two percent difference in completion percentage. The touchdowns and interceptions is really the important thing to look at here. He threw less passes in 2018, but had more touchdowns. He had 32 touchdowns and six interceptions. In 2019, he had at least 60 more throws, and he had 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. And everyone's just looking at how big his arm is and how he can definitely throw, which is one of his strengths. He definitely can throw it very far. He has a cannon of an arm. But I view Jordan Love to be the biggest risk out of Tua in this draft. The two se- two seasons apart, I know there was a new head coach who apparently is awful. That's already been discussed in other stuff, so I'm not going to repeat other people's information. But the head coach apparently is a factor. I mean, obviously, a new head coach, new scheme. You can't really. The transition's always rough for that. But he's a projected first rounder. And I feel like. There's, it's going to be like in the 20s that someone's going to decide to take love. If someone decides to do like a Daniel Jones thing and take him way earlier, that's just going to be a shot in the foot for whoever decides this because he is a project and a half of you really decide to draft and invest in him to be your starting quarterback. Love led the the college season in Division One according to Pro Football Focus, and in interceptions in tight windows with 14. So that alone just says accuracy is pretty bad here and decision-making, and love this season against, uh, like, top 25 competition. I know I only like looking at top 25, but I view top 25 teams as being a pretty good indication of having some levels of NFL talent on the defensive side of the ball here. And when they played LSU, they got waxed. They lost 42-6, to and I know that, like, it's a difference in team between Utah and LSU, but LSU... I mean, I would like to see some promise, and he had a 50% completion percentage with 130 yards, no touchdowns, three interceptions, and then when they played Boise State, who was 20th, they lost 56-21. to He was 21-36, for 229, one touchdown, one interception, and then they in their last game of the season, in their championship game of some sort, I guess, they played Kent State, and they lost 51-41, to and they... He had a good game. So it's just really like, I don't know what you're hoping to get here. I would not say he's a savior of any kind. I would not say he's a Mahomes of any kind. I think he is just this typical quarterback whose name gets keep getting brought up over and over because of how the quarterbacks who showed off last year, they show similarities to the prospects in the year's draft now. Now, obviously, Mahomes, he has a huge arm, so now every GM is going to fall in love with people who have huge arms, hoping they get the next Mahomes, and that is not the case. I actually think Love, at best, will be what Josh Allen is now. I know Josh Allen is bulkier, he's bigger, but Josh Allen is also touted for having a massive arm. I wouldn't say Josh Allen is accurate at all. I wouldn't say Jordan Love is accurate at all, so I feel like that is a very accurate comparison. And I have his floor being Deshaun Kaiser, because Deshaun Kaiser is basically already out of the league, and he 
was also known for having a great arm, but he is also one who's riddled with accuracy issues. I'd say the difference between Josh Allen and Deshaun Kaiser is simply if they find a team that can help bring out Jordan Love's arm strength and try to really spend years of him not starting, developing the accuracy, he can be a great quarterback. So that's going to be it for the NFL draft QB prospects that took a tiny bit longer than I was thinking. But, you know, it's fun to talk football. So now we're going to have Noah Lucier on to talk about uh, the U.S. Soccer Academy being shut down. And what does this really mean for U.S. soccer as a whole? All right. So now on the phone, we got a a good college friend of mine, Noah Lucier. Noah, welcome to the podcast. What's up, Corey? It's it's an honor to be on your airwaves. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Uh, So I actually kind of discovered the news about the U.S. Academy shutting down from your Instagram, believe it or not, (laughs) when your story, you put the the face palm. Right. So, yeah, I mean, at the time when I posted, I didn't realize that there was like another thing coming with like the MLS providing their own platform for like that's going to take its place. But, yeah, I was like pretty upset in the moment because it just seemed like a bad like a bad news story for U.S. soccer, which yeah. is already bad shape. So, so it kind of like led me to thinking that, you know, already we already knew that the U.S. soccer team, the men's team, I should say, the women are mm-hmm. perfectly fine. <laughs> the men's team yeah, is uh, struggling, to say the least. Uh, they're kind of an embarrassment right now, I would say. And this uh, closing of the academy and having the MLS team, like the MLS league taking it over, is not really a good look. For the U.S. national team in general, like, I mean, I guess it's fine for the players' development, but at the same time, like, U.S. in the past already, I mean, we've missed the World Cup. We lost in the Gold Cup to Mexico 1-0, and most recently we lost in the the CONCAF Nations League to Canada 2-0, which was uh, the first time that the Canada has beaten the U.S. in uh, 34 years. Jesus. Yeah, and um, after losing 1-0 to Mexico in the Gold Cup, we then lost to them 3-0 a few months later. And uh, we've switched managers uh, twice since we fired Klinsman, which was supposed to be a saving move for the... Everyone was so sick of Klinsman as the manager. And now we went yeah. from Bruce Arena to Berlter. And, yeah, I don't uh, really, yeah. And he was one... They only interviewed, apparently, two candidates. They... We're interviewing Bralter and Oscar Pereja, but apparently they're the Spain old Spain manager was extremely interested in the U.S. soccer job, and they didn't even reach out and interview for him. Jesus. So then, to make basically put the icing on the cake, the U.S. soccer team was uh, they announced last Wednesday that they're closing down their development academy of the federation due to the financial impact of the coronavirus. But they basically just said it's never going to probably come back. Right. So yeah. I feel like it's just like a really unstable look for like the United States soccer, which is already looking bad. So like, I don't think it'll be that bad in the long run. Like I think the MLS probably has more resources than like a nonprofit, like the, like us soccer or like the DA was a part of us soccer and us soccer is a nonprofit organization. So I feel like maybe it'll be better to have the backing of like billionaire owners. You're not billionaire, but like multi-billion dollar owners and franchises and stuff like that. And those kind of resources, like it might be a little bit better, but I still feel like there's just like more underlying issues that are like the major problems for men's soccer than 
just like the academy structure, you know? Yeah, so why do you feel that uh, the U.S. in general is so far behind other countries besides the fact that obviously soccer is not our main sport of our country, I guess? But, like, you right. look at the women's team and they thrive. So what what is really the difference in the way that the two teams are structured? So I don't really know what the difference is between, like, men and women, I guess. It's not what we're doing for the women. It's what other countries aren't doing for the women. Like, I feel like other countries just lag way behind when it comes to, like, women's sports. And, I mean, like, we had, like, a big, like, Title IX movement and shit like that, obviously, that helped um, kind of, like, accelerate the progress, probably, of our women's national team. Um, but I think, like, eventually, like, other countries will kind of catch up to the women. But for the men, I think it's, like... I don't even think it's a popularity issue because we have like 330 million people in the country or something like that. And the fact that we can't get like, uh, we can't beat a country like Croatia that made it to like the world cup final, like the <laughs> past world cup. That's like the size of Rhode Island or something like that. Like, it's just crazy. Like, I don't think it's a popularity issue. Like, I think it's a, it's a like a development of like the kids and youth soccer issue, you know. Because I think there's enough interest. Like, I don't know. At my high school, I felt like soccer was equally as popular as any other sport. Or I don't know. I felt like there was a good share of great athletes that were playing soccer, and like it saves them about like other towns around me and stuff like that. Maybe it's different than in the inner cities, but I don't know. I don't really see the popularity issue like being the real issue. Yeah, I mean. It's pretty bad that I feel like most college teams these days in America are more comprised of foreign prospects who can't make it in their, like, country's leagues, like the lower level, so they come here. And it basically kind of ruins the potential of any young American to really succeed because the likelihood of a young American going to be like a Pulisic and playing, like, somewhere else or, like, a Weston McKinney in other leagues is pretty low. You don't ever hear really of many Americans that get to travel outside of America to play. And college seems to be their only opportunity, which is taken by foreign players. Right. Right. And college kind of totally. Yeah. It's, it's so messed up because we take all these foreign players that don't, don't succeed in their own countries, but like we don't, adopt other foreign countries like the way that they develop soccer players like they don't have college soccer being like their pinnacle of like soccer for kids that are you know 18 to 22 or whatever it's like academies and farm systems like there are in baseball and stuff like that like those are the places where soccer players are like developed in europe and like it's kind of complicated but there's like when and the United States is the only country that this doesn't apply to, but in like FIFA laws in other countries, and I think it's because the college soccer is the reason why that in the United States doesn't adopt this, but in other countries, if say an academy, a youth academy develops a player and then that player becomes Christian Pulisic and he signs with Dortmund, well, Dortmund has to pay that youth club, as tiny as it may be, a price to to have Christian Pulisic. And they have to pay that until Christian Pulisic is 23 years old. And it's like 10% of his contract or something. Like, it's a significant amount. 
So there's an incentive for European countries, for South American around the, around the world to like develop players. Um, and there's an incentive for clubs to hire great coaches and develop players because they can make a profit off of it. They can build an organization that is like an Ajax or a Barcelona or Boca juniors where they're just like producing great talent all the time. And they're making so much money in like transfer windows and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So we don't have that in the United States. And I think because of that, like soccer becomes about only about like winning or having fun. And it should be about for people that are serious about it. Like it should be about player development. Like it shouldn't be like kick and run soccer. It shouldn't be, you know, just like playing in some weak league to score as many goals as you can and get the parents to pay another thousand dollars per season, you know, cause their kids having fun. Yeah. So I think that's like a, a major issue that like a lot of people don't realize, but, and I think that's, yeah, it's greatly affected because of college soccer. Cause you know, athletes can't get paid before college because then the NCAA will disqualify them, you know, or like there, there can't be like a money making thing with youth sports before college or else those players can't play college yeah i feel like the the mark that the u.s has in the soccer world is kind of like we're a joke in some way because our national team like on the paper u.s should be a big team because we have such a large number of people we can pick from that should there should be at least 12 very talented players in this country but there doesn't seem to be also the the MLS is probably one of the more bottom tier leagues in the world. Yeah. It's more viewed as a retirement league than anything else. And now that right. our national team is just stumbling over itself over and over and never seems to get to pick itself up when well, we probably have our greatest prospect we've had in about 10 to 15 years with uh, Pulisic. Sure. Now it doesn't even seem like our foot's still in the door and we're with this academy closing. I know we have the MLS one opening, like you said, but it just seems like we are never going to be able to break through, but what do you think like the U S should do in order to like get a stable outlook on the future? Um, like how would you so, fix it? I mean, my long-term thought is kind of like what I was just talking about, like somehow adopt the same kind of structure as European and South American countries where, youth clubs are profitable and they're clubs that feed pro professional teams and, you know, like make money off transfers and stuff like that. I think that would make for better coaching. I think that would make for, you know, like more, more like better player identification at a younger age to like get the best players and like the best teams because there's an incentive to have the best players developed under like your team because someday you might be able to sell that Christian Pulisic to Dortmund or something like that. But in the meantime, like I, that is my long-term goal. I hope we can move towards that somehow and like just get rid of like the college sports. Like I hate the NCAA so much. Um, and But in the short term, yeah, I hope there's more players that see what Christian Pulisic, Rusty McKinney, like you were talking about, what they've done and, like, you know, take that leap and go 
you know, over the pond to Europe or, you know, wherever to just develop because the, the, the best development for young soccer players is not in the United States. So, yeah. So that's my short term solution. Right now, it seems like the U.S. is going through a transitional period in terms of their national team. I mean, we've had basically the same starting 12 for like 10 years, and we still have Bradley in the lineup, which I know you're a huge fan. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, why does it seem that no matter what manager we implement into this team, there is no sense of like continuity or like that? It It just seems like we're holding on to the past and not being able to put more trust into young players, especially when we're just putting terrible performances out one after another. So, I don't really, I think, like, we are finally getting a little bit past the Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, like, that whole era. Like, those players are kind of fading out a little bit. And I think, like, the Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, like, that era is going to be our next one that, like, we try to, you know, make the 2026 World Cup that's going to be in the United States. I think that's going to be, like, the year that U.S. soccer is targeting, so... I don't know. I, I, I can see how they're like starting to just adopt um, or like invest in like the younger talent more and just be ready for that time. Like I said, 2026, I've heard a lot when I hear like United States coach or I don't know, pundits talk about the status of like our development and how we're moving along after not making the last World Cup. So I don't know. <laughs> so what um, do you feel like a ma- what man- type of manager would be best for the U.S.? Because we've done the Klinsman, where it's a foreign manager coming in, and he did have some level of success. I mean, we got past yeah. the group stage. We went to the elimination round. We had we had that famous game with Belgium with Tim Howard just being absolutely insane, where we should have honestly just gotten destroyed. Yeah, but I mean, do you feel like a, an ha- American coach is the best? Mm. I don't know. I. I mean, ideally, an American coach to coach an American team, like that makes no sense to me. But at the same time, I don't know if the best coaches are in Amer- in the United States. And I'm sure there's a lot of coaches abroad, like that guy that you mentioned um, from Spain. Like, he might be a better option than Bruce Le- Arena for, you know. Yeah, Le Petit so, guy. I'm down for, like, whoever's the best whoever's the best option available. Like, it doesn't have to be, the, like, a United States guy. Um, I liked Jurgen Klinsmann when he was here. I didn't really have any outrage um, towards the end when a lot of people didn't want him to have their job anymore. So, yeah, it was so weird. He was viewed as the savior of U.S. soccer, and then one like a year past the World Cup, we're all just like, "Yeah, you know what? Screw him." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We'll be better without him. He only took like players that were all in their like early to late thirties and made them decent. <laughs> against yeah. like, solid teams. But it does seem like we truly have some really good young players set for the future. Like I said, we have Pulisic, we have Weston McKinney. Yedlin's a pretty solid player. We got uh, Weya, Tim, uh, Timothy Weya. Right, yeah. And uh, Brooks and Sergio Odest is now the latest thing. Why do you, That was a huge like win for U.S. national soccer. Why do you think he would have even chose us? Over, it was him and the, us in the Netherlands, right? To be honest, I don't know anything about that. No, that's right. <laughs> he was like supposed to be this huge, 
like it was a huge decision for him to choose between the U.S. or um, the Netherlands, and he ended up choosing the U.S. and everyone was super confused because obviously, for those who don't know, the Netherlands is basically about to hit their like peak again. Right, it's like their golden age right now. We all it used to be that people thought like the Robin and uh, Van Persie age was their prime, but now they're seeing like with the light and the young that it's just about to like erupt again. Right. <laughs> Good for them. <laughs> yeah. No, I I would have no idea why that guy would pick the United States or like a dumpster fire. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh look at all this promise with De Jong and De Ligt. I'm gonna choose. The United States. <laughs> <laughs> they they seem like they got their stuff all together. <laughs> right. I don't know. I mean, it just seems like such a complicated it. window because it just seems like any player in soccer can just switch of their nationality at any point. I mean, you got Diego Costa <laughs> who decided he was Spanish, <laughs> even though he's what? from Brazil. That's nuts. That was one of the more insane things I read where it was like, I think it was two World Cups ago where he decided he's like, yeah, I'm Spanish. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay. Hands down. So I guess the question is with the way that the virus is like impacting everything, they're saying that so many things are going to get shut down. And it's also starting to impact the BPL season in a mm-hmm. way. So how do you think this will probably shape out? Um... I mean, if Liverpool, like, isn't given the title or given the right to, like, finish out the league, I think it'll be bullshit. Like, I hope they don't just void the whole season because the season was pretty much wrapped up. Like, everybody knew Liverpool was going to win. So, I don't know. Um, I can't really see them playing more games. Like, I don't think it makes sense. Like, I think they should just start a new season uh, when the time comes. But... I mean, it's such a fluid situation. Like, I don't, I don't think anybody really knows how to forecast what's going to happen in any of those sports leagues. Yeah, I guess but... the big question is because the uh, Premier League season's basically all wrapped up, but the Champions League is completely left open, and now this just leaves massive oh, questions. Because, cool. like, teams have to qualify to make it, and if you're cutting seasons short, how is it going to determine who makes what? If you just say, like, oh, well, at this point in the season, these were the top four in the BPL and the La Liga. and Right. Well, and... it's got to be that. If they if they just void the season, I mean, how else would they choose who's going to be in? And I'll tell you who this really just messes up the most is Man City, because Man City, um, had, for those who don't know, is now banned from competition for, like, two years. And this was their last one. So if oh, dude, I meant to ask you. I know it's like kind of off topic, but yeah, go what ahead. What do you think about that new Newcastle owner, dude? Oh, that apparently is supposed to like shake up the entire power of the BPL because he's way richer than any other person there. Right? Yeah, he's like a hundred times rich. He's like part of a royal family that's like worth like over like a trillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, it must be nice. Yeah. Just be like, yeah, you know, I'm pretty rich. I'm going to buy uh, Newcastle. <laughs> it's like, you know what? I want Messi. Barcelona says no. He's like, all right, I'll just buy Barcelona. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Then I'll sell them to Newcastle and then just resell <laughs> Barcelona. Right. So, like, this I kinda is like, – I kind of like Newcastle, though. They were, like, my, my team when I was, like, really little. Like, I like <laughs> Chelsea and I like Newcastle because that movie with Santiago Munez. Santiago <laughs> <laughs> I um 
I think it's interesting how like an owner though in other sports doesn't really shift that much in uh-huh. terms of like this. But soccer with the basically unlimited cap that you get that's only coming from ownership, this truly does shake up the BPL in a way because Man City is now put on freeze for a long period of time, and they've been basically the powerhouse for the past three years. Right. They've been the club with the rich owner that's just been able to buy everyone, so now they're not going to be able to have that. Yeah, Liverpool's been the team of bargains that just pay off immensely. Yeah. I and, love Liverpool, man. Yeah, what do – um. In terms of this season, what does Liverpool do that's so different from everyone else, you think, that got them so many points ahead? I don't know. They're just so consistent. Like, I mean, obviously they went on that long run where they um, just, like, never dropped any games. Like, they were unbeaten. But, like, they're so consistent. Like, they have such a strong structure of, like – I don't know. They're just such a balanced team. They're so consistent. Like their defense with with Van Dyke and like those outside backs. Those outside backs are so dangerous. Like that's why I love watching them play. I think the most is is those guys, uh, Robertson and Alexander Arnold. But because they truly have they no possess. They're well coached. They just have everything. Like they have good team speed. They have like a great center back, amazing goalkeeper. Like they just have it all. Like. They um uh, they truly don't have an offensive star. Like Salah looked like he was gonna be like the star of that uh-huh. that offense, but it, after that first season, he's kind of like fizzled a little bit. Yeah, yeah. He's like bit. gone back to like good numbers, but they're not like Ballon d'Or ready numbers like what we saw years right. prior. I guess to answer your question too, Salah, Mane, and Firmino, like they're all like defensive too like they they fucking hustle back they you know, they're not ronaldo who like walks back on defense or messi or what anything like that like they they defend like from the top too so i mean that's why that high press with jurgen klopp it works i don't know yeah jurgen klopp just seems to take like pretty good players and just really exploit their best talents i'd say because he did right. it at dortmund and he does the same exact thing here at liverpool all right dude but uh I mean, yeah, this going back to the Newcastle thing. Why do so do, are you expecting like a massive shakeup in terms of the BPL already like in this window because it seems like a lot of teams are affected by this virus. I mean, Arsenal is supposed to sell six players apparently, like six stars. Yeah. So do you think that like it's going to be really easy for Newcastle with all this money to just swoop in and automatically become like a top 6? Yeah. Well, so I think like the the separation between like a Newcastle and like a top top of the table Premier League team like isn't that crazy so if Newcastle just added like three or four good to amazing players it would make the biggest difference in the world and they would be now in that top half of the table I, I think it will take like maybe like a couple years but that that owner, I think, will eventually start just like dominating transfer windows and like getting some big transfers. And um, I don't know, Newcastle has a huge fan base too. Like they're they're a cool club, so I think a lot of people will get behind them and they will become like a really prominent. Um, yeah, really excited. I guess the counter argument to what I was asking anyway is that just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you can are gonna like automatically become better because some of the biggest transfers ever don't necessarily pay off. 
Yeah, totally. So like, but I guess with that amount of money that we just said he has, like he could easily just buy his mistakes again and then just buy new players to go over the mistakes. It's kind of dangerous. I mean, the BPL for the most part is like the most popular league in the world, I think. And, but I've always heard you describe it as like the most aggressive. It's not like necessarily the most talented. It's just the most physical. Yeah, the style of play is the most physical in Europe, I think. But, um, I mean, it is like the best league in Europe. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's very debatable right now. <laughs> you don't like a uh, league in? <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I'll, the last question I'll have for you is um, so obviously, the I think the new face of the generation coming up is uh, Mbappe, but he's at PSG and most people think that he uh he's not going to stay there. But yeah. there's now rumors with this Newcastle owner that they would buy him, want to buy him there, but he's been long time rumored to become a Galactico at Madrid. Right. So if you were in the mind of Mbappe, what would decision do you think you would make? I mean, I would rather go to Real Madrid obviously. I wouldn't want to be part of like a rebuilding or like a the uncertainty of like building a new team full of transfers um i think to bring real madrid kind of back to the glory it had like a couple years ago i think that would be more attractive to me but i mean i can see both kind of actually no i can't i can't see him going to newcastle even if they have the money i just it takes two to tango yeah, I mean, I don't think Mbappe would want to do it. Yeah, even with uh, Zidane currently being like a huge question mark, I guess if he's still a good manager. Right, I like Zidane. I don't know why people would think that he's not a good manager. Any manager that wins the Champions League has something has a large, um, like it's largely due to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's hard to put the right players on the field. It's hard to. It's hard to hate Bale all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just because yeah, the guy made, golfs. Tough decisions. I mean, I don't know. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. This was fun. No problem, brother. Anything? Uh, anything you're doing during quarantine? Not much. Just uh, about to go on a walk on the bike trail. <laughs> nice. 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 So, that's what I got. Oh, I'm uh. In a heated battle of Monopoly with my family. <laughs> the one um, that will resume at 9 o'clock? Yes, yes. Nice, so. nice. All right. Yeah, I got, I got some good property, so things are, <laughs> things are looking up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Uh, thanks for coming on. No problem, man. Love you. See ya. See ya. All right, so thanks again to Noah for uh, coming on to the podcast. That was fun to talk about some U.S. soccer. And uh, thank you for all for listening. And uh, I hope to see you guys later this week where me, Ryan, uh, Aram, and Ian will talk about uh, what characters from TV would we bring on to survive on a quarantine island. All right, thanks for listening, guys. Please subscribe if you haven't, and I'll see you next week.